With the South Carolina Gamecocks now six games into the 2022 football season, it's time to reevaluate where the team is at. What are some of the positives and negatives on the team, and what are some adjustments that they could make? I'm going to discuss all that today on the Locked On Gamecocks podcast. Our Locked On Gamecocks, your daily podcast on the South Carolina Gamecocks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, Gamecock Nation, and welcome back to the Lockdown Gamecocks podcast, your show for daily headlines and potential storylines on your favorite South Carolina Gamecocks sports teams. I'm your host, Andrew Lyon, and as always, thank you for making the Lockdown Gamecocks podcast your first watch or listen every day. We are free and available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts daily. And as I alluded to in the cold open for today's show, We're going to use today's show as an opportunity to evaluate where the team currently stands on both sides of the ball. I'm going to talk about the positives for the offense and defense in the first portion. The middle portion of today's show will cover the negatives. And at the end of the show, I'll talk about some adjustments that I personally believe that both the offense and defensive side of the ball should make, which could lead to some more success down the road for the 2022 football season. So let's go ahead and get all right into it with some of the positives on both sides of the ball, starting with the offense. And the first positive that I could come up with, and this was a no-brainer, honestly, Marshawn Lloyd's coming out party. Of course, everybody knows at this point who follows South Carolina football what the story has been with Marshawn Lloyd. He came into South Carolina as a highly touted, highly ranked four-star or five-star recruit, depending on where you looked for the 2020 recruiting class. He was on pace to be South Carolina's starting running back ahead of Kevin Harris, who was now in the NFL, by the way, for the 2020 season, but he tore his ACL in a freakish non-contact play in fall camp that year. So he missed all 2020, 2021. He comes back, but Marshawn is clearly not the same player. He's a little bit hesitant in terms of trying to figure out which way he wants to go. His cuts just were not as explosive. It's pretty clear from last year looking back, that he was still mentally recovering from the injury. He was trying to regain trust in that knee once again, which happens with a lot of athletes when they have a serious injury like a torn ACL. This year, Marshawn Lloyd has officially made his comeback. And of course, we talked about this coming out of the spring game. We talked about this coming into the season, how everyone thought, based on what they had seen from him in practice clips and in the spring game, that uh, Marshawn was officially back. But the first few games, we didn't really see a whole lot from him, partly because of the game plan, in my opinion, in for those first three games, and some lackluster perimeter blocking against Georgia State. But he has proven in the last three games that he is a threat every time he has the football in his hands. In the last three games alone, Marshawn Lloyd is averaging 7.48 yards per carry on 48 carries and has rushed for six touchdowns. He also has 149 receiving yards and two receiving touchdowns on 15 receptions over the course of the season so far. And I've talked about this now multiple times, but Marshawn has just got so many great qualities that you want in a solid SEC running back. He's got really solid balance. He runs with a lot of grace and dexterity, but at the same time combines that with very violent and physical running for a guy who I believe is listed at five foot nine and somewhere close to 200 pounds 
at running back. Marshawn's got a lot of lower body explosion. He continuously drives his legs, which makes it harder to tackle him around his lower half. And in terms of his upper body, he's got a lot of power and strength there as well. We've seen multiple stiff arms from him on multiple linebackers in some of these football games. And Marshawn just rushed for over 100 yards for, I believe, the first time ever against an SEC opponent this past weekend against Kentucky. So Marshawn, he has been a big part of this offense in the last few games. And I'll talk about the end, why going forward, he should continue to remain a focal point. Another positive from this offense has been the one-two tandem of Antoine Wells Jr. and Jalen Brooks at wide receiver. And this has honestly been a really big feel-good story for this Gamecock football team for different reasons when you look at both these guys. Antoine Wells Jr., you got to think about this. Last year, he was playing for James Madison, who was a very respectable football program. Don't get me wrong on that. They're actually undefeated right now. But last year was their last year as an FCS school, one level below the FBS level where South Carolina plays at. And now he's playing for an SEC team, and he's the leader for the team in receptions, receiving yards, and he's tied for the lead in receiving touchdowns halfway through the season. Just a really remarkable feat that not very many athletes can quite honestly go in and do. But Antoine Wells has been doing just that so far. And then you look at Jalen Brooks. He was gone, of course, for at least half of the 2021 football season. Basically left the team to take care of some things in his personal life off the field. And there were questions at times as to whether or not he was going to be able to come back. But Jalen Brooks has come back. He seems like he's better than ever, both on and off the field. And he's made a real impact for this football team. Both these guys have been helping a ton in terms of play breakdowns, being able to scramble open, making some guys miss, or breaking tackles in the open field. And neither of these guys have been afraid to get after in terms of blocking, especially Antoine Wells, if you saw that crackback block on that last touchdown for South Carolina in the Kentucky game. If you had any doubts about that with Antoine Wells especially, uh, there was your answer to that question. Now, when looking at the defensive side of the ball, there's been a couple positives there as well. In particular, the emergence of freshman sensation Nick Emmonworthy. It's been a while since we've mentioned his name, so let's talk about him once again. Uh, yeah, this young buck is still special. He is leading the team in tackles with 37 total up to this point in the year, including a game-high 14 tackles against the defending national champions in the Georgia Bulldogs back in Week 3. Now, what makes him different from most freshmen is the instincts that he has, the ability to sort of read how the play is progressing quicker than most freshmen who play at safety. He also has a willingness to go up and tackle guys in the open field. He's not afraid to be physical. He understands how to attack attack certain ball carriers sort of based on their running style and the stature that they carry. It's very rare traits that you see out of a freshman safety in the SEC, but Nick Emmonworthy has that, and again, it's why I think that he will be playing on Sundays later in the future. Another positive from this defense has been the all-hands-on-deck approach this defense has had to have so far this year. The following players I'm about to list have been hurt and missed games so far this year. Devonnie Reed, Darius Rush, Cam Smith, Jordan Strawn, Mo Caba, RJ Roderick, David Spaulding, and Alex Boogie Huntley. 
Jordan Stradamo, Kava in particular, are both out for the season. Boogie Huntley has been out for a significant amount of time, basically three, four games at this point. And seven of the players that I just listed, basically everyone except for David Spaulding, were all starters at the start of this year. So guys like Sherrod Green, Gilbert Edmond, Nick Emmonworry, DK Smith, Tonka Hemingway, and others have had to step up in a big way with the defense being littered with these injuries so far this season. Emmonworry and Green are both first and second on the team in total tackles. Edmund and Hemingway, Gilbert Edmund and Taka Hemingway to be specific, they have accounted for 40% of the team's total amount of sacks through six games and have been very active on the defensive front, especially in these last couple of games where they've had an increased role on this defensive line. David Spaulding forced the fumble on the first play of the game against Kentucky, which led to South Carolina's first offensive touchdown. And DQ Smith, he's had to play in multiple spots in the secondary. While, of course, he's had sort of his lapses, which a lot of true freshmen are going to have in the SEC playing at this level, he's doing a great job considering the fact that he is a true freshman and the circumstances that he's had to deal with up to this point. And why is this a good thing in particular? This means the defense and the team as a whole potentially has more competitive depth at more spots. This means that this coaching staff has gotten some hits on a few of these recruits from the previous recruiting cycle. Obviously, Nick Evan wearing DQ Smith, but you've also got guys like Stone Bland at linebacker, some transfer guys or Juco guys like Van Martin Scott and Debo Williams at linebacker, Gilbert Edmond, who's turned out to be a great find, even though he might have not been the most heavily pursued recruit coming out of high school compared to some of his counterparts. That is a really good sign from this coaching staff in terms of them developing the guys they are bringing in. Now, of course, you just hope to see that continue on every single level at every single position group on this football team. Now, of course, while there have been some positives with the team this season, there's also been a couple of negatives that we do need to address on today's show. But before I get into that, I want to talk to you all about what's going on right now across the country because, of course, prices are huge right now at the gas pump and you're getting eye-popping checks at your favorite restaurant because of how much food now is costing because inflation is hitting us everywhere that you could possibly think of and that's why i have started using upside upside is an incredible app for anyone who's out running errands and with every purchase i'm earning cash back thanks to upside and use that to help alleviate my wallet whenever i go to make my weekly run of groceries or if i need to get gas after going to the gym or if i decide to buy anything online that makes this podcast and the show sound better or look better for all of you who are tuning in today this isn't too good to be true it's free and easy to use and take it from me i have used it it works great i promise y'all that to get started download the free upside app then use the promo code locked and get five dollars more cash back on your first purchase of ten dollars or more next claim an offer for whatever you're buying on upside then check in at the business paying as usual with a credit or debit card and get paid upside users are earning more than a million dollars every single week and if you still question just how good they are well i'll let the 4.8 star rating on the app store speak for itself so download the free upside app and use the promo code locked to get five dollars or more cash back on your first purchase of ten dollars or more one more time that's five dollars more cash back on your first purchase of ten dollars or more using promo code locked
Welcome back to the Locked On Gamecocks podcast, where we cover your South Carolina Gamecocks every single day. All right, so I covered the positives for both the offense and defense back in the beginning of the show. Now let's talk about the negatives for both sides of the ball. Let's start with the offense. And with the first negative on offense, I got to talk about Spencer Rattler's play and his ability to adapt to this pro-style offense. Look, at this point, South Carolina has played six games this season. So I think that myself and people who cover South Carolina, the fan base in particular, has gotten a decent enough sample size to see really what this team is getting with Spencer Rattler at quarterback. There's clearly some traits that he has from probably when he was playing back in high school that he has been seemingly unable to shake, seemingly unable to get past. And it kind of reminds me of Jason Brown from last year in the sense that there are some times where Spencer Rattler just kind of goes out there and again, it seems like he's just sort of leaning on the talent that he knows that he has. And I talked about this earlier in the season. It can be real dangerous for an exceptional athlete in any sport when they know just how gifted they are. It can either serve as a blessing because they end up remaining humble and maybe they understand that with the amount of talent they have, they could make it to where very few people can surpass them at their particular position or in that sport. And so they work harder in order to keep it that way. Or they know because of the talent that they have, they try to lean on that at times to get them out of sticky situations. And unfortunately, it seems like based on the way he's played at times, Spencer Rattler is more so in the latter part of that sort of hypothetical there. He leans more on his talent. And there's times where he's trying to make throws off balance that, again, there's no need for him to be trying to throw it off balance. There's times where he leaves the pocket when he doesn't need to leave the pocket. And it's, again, backyardish type football, really, that they see from him at times. He's a quarterback that you really have to cater to with your offensive system in my mind. I don't mean that as a bad thing, but in the sense that if some of these habits aren't going to get kicked to the curb, then you're just going to have to try to work around them as best as you can without sacrificing the entire offensive system. Because you can't try to continuously force him to try and adapt to the offense you want to run if there's certain things that he's just not going to run correctly. And you have to have guys around him that can make plays constantly. And there's been times, of course, where South has been able to do that, Marshawn Lloyd's a great example from behind him at running back. And there's other times where maybe the receivers aren't getting enough separation, which just makes things worse. It compounds the problems at the quarterback spot for South Carolina. So Spencer Rattler's play, there's no getting around it. It's been a problem on this offense so far this season. Another problem with this offense has been an inability to run the football on the edge in particular. The Gamecocks have seen a lot of success with certain run concepts like counter, inside zone, and duo. But certain plays like maybe some outside sweeps or outside zones, to keep it simple, have seen little to no success, especially against higher level competition, more athletic defenses. And I think that this is due to it not fitting the offensive line's overall skill set. And you might be wondering, well, you know, if they can run certain inside zone run concepts, Andrew, then what makes it so much more difficult for this offensive line to run zone concepts that just go more towards the perimeter? Well, in my mind, it's because this offensive line, they don't have the technique necessarily, or maybe they just don't have the traits that you look for in offensive linemen that can get out to the edge as quickly as possible. This is evidenced by what they did in 2020. 
They can block well in the run game if they're utilized right. I'm going to continue to pound the table and say this all season long, okay? I know they don't have their best moments, but sometimes you got to eventually just look in the mirror and say to yourself, am I utilizing these guys correctly? They've shown the ability to run some zone concepts, like I mentioned earlier, but they seem to struggle in terms of plays that require all of them to get out ahead of the running back. There needs to be an adjustment in my mind in terms of the amount of gap scheme type runs, which basically means we've got one gap that we're aiming for. The running back's going to run right through this gap. So we got specific blocks that we need each and every single guy to perform in order to be able to give that running back the best chance to be able to run through that hole. That's what they did in 2020 with Kevin Harris when Mike Bobo was the offensive coordinator. And I'm not saying you got to scrap all the zone blocking runs. Some of them, the offensive line runs quite well, especially on the inside. Hold on to that in the playbook. But I think that it's time to start taking a look at more gap scheme type runs to try to expand the horizons in the run game. Because if you continue to be able to just run inside but nowhere else... Defenses are going to start adjusting to that. It's going to be a more condensed box. Linebackers are going to be stacked in those A and B gaps, and it's going to make it a lot harder just purely based on numbers and the athleticism in this conference for you to be able to just continue to just run those same plays over and over again. It's going to catch up at some point one way or another if no adjustments are made. Now let's get over to the defensive side real quick in terms of negatives. When looking at South Carolina's rush defense, They continue to show struggles in terms of being able to stop their opponents from being able to consistently run the football. I took a couple stats from footballoutsiders.com. If you've watched this show or listened to this show long enough, you know how much I love this website because they really dive into some deep analytical stats in terms of offensive line, defensive line play. When looking at line yards per carry, which basically means how much push does the opposing offensive line create on any run plays against South Carolina? South Carolina's defensive line gives up an average of 2.93 line yards per carry. Basically, that's the amount of cushion that opposing running backs are getting on average. This is tied for the worst mark in the SEC. In terms of standard downs, line yards per carry, which is basically the same exact situation, except for this is specific to plays like first down, second and seven and fewer, third and four or fewer, and fourth and four or fewer. South Carolina is still giving up 2.89 line yards per carry on those specific type of plays. That's the second worst mark in the SEC. And if you're confused by the stats I just threw out there, don't worry about it then. This is basically what you need to know. The Gamecocks, who have played against two group of five teams in Georgia State and Charlotte, an FCS team in South Carolina State, and arguably one of the worst offensive lines they're going to play all year in conference play in Kentucky last weekend, are getting blown off the line constantly. And this is despite the fact that they've played opponents like I just listed a moment ago. This is an area that has got to change one way or another. Whether it's the sheer will and effort from the defensive front, if it's a coaching thing, I'm not quite certain at this point. But either way, something has got to change because this cannot continue against some of these teams that are going to play down the line. Another negative with this defense. South Carolina's inability to get to the quarterback. If you look at South Carolina's first five games, we've talked about this. They only had four sacks. Now, they registered six against Kentucky, and that's great. That was an awesome performance by the defensive front, something that they should have done. We do have to take into account, however, that they were facing a backup quarterback in Kaya Sheeran in his first ever collegiate start, an offensive line that had given up 19 sacks heading into the contest. ESPN showed a graphic during the football game on Saturday night, and this was a graphic that was quite concerning to me. South Carolina, in terms of blitz rate, is eighth in the country in terms of sending extra people into the box on certain plays, especially passing plays, I would assume. 
but the sack rate was the sixth lowest in the country. So you're sending extra guys more than every other team in the country except for seven of them, but yet you're not getting to the quarterback still. You rank in the bottom six in the country, at least heading into the Kentucky game. So what could this mean? Maybe guys aren't finding ways to quickly shed blocks, or maybe... You know, Clayton White's blitzes are a little bit too predictable. Maybe there are certain tendencies that defensive staffs are picking up on, and so they're able to scheme around that. And the other thing is this. I don't want to put this all course on Coach Clayton White because the players have not done a good enough job of getting to the quarterback when they do get a shot in the backfield, or maybe they have a clear path towards him. Maybe they're not taking the right angles. That's been an issue with this defense as well. So in terms of rush defense and pass defense, specifically on the defensive line, that group has got to do better on both fronts. And so with all this bearing in mind, you're probably wondering, well, Andrew, what are some adjustments that maybe this team could make to try and solve some of these issues? I'll touch on that in just a moment. But first, our partners at Nissan have worked with us to create a new segment across the Locked On College Network titled Thrilling Moments, where we highlight the most exciting play from the South Carolina Gamecocks weekend game. And this week's thrilling moment from the South Carolina Gamecocks matchup against the Kentucky Wildcats comes from halfway in the fourth quarter, where the Gamecocks were at Kentucky's 24-yard line and driving down the field. Spencer Rattler faked the handoff to Marshawn Lloyd and with the help of misdirection, did a reverse sweep toss to Jalen Brooks, who with the help of blockers and Juice Wells, Marshawn Lloyd, and Travion Keenan, weaved his way into the end zone, putting the Gamecocks up 17 points with seven minutes to go in the ballgame and thus putting the final nail in the coffin for this contest and more specifically for the Kentucky Wildcats. This segment has been inspired by the thrilling new design features across Nissan's new lineup of vehicles. Pursue what thrills you in the all-new Frontier, Armada, or Pathfinder today. Available now at NissanUSA.com. Welcome back to this Tuesday edition of the Locked On Gamecocks podcast, where we cover your team every single day in just 30 minutes. Okay, so I've talked about the positives and the negatives from both the offensive and defensive side of the ball that the Gamecocks have shown so far this football season. Now, one final question remains. What are some adjustments that should be made or what needs to change with maybe the philosophy or maybe some of the scheming for both the offense and defensive side of the ball moving forward. I'll start off with the offensive side of the ball. There's a couple of key things that I think this offense needs to do from game seven all the way throughout the rest of the regular season. This offense needs to revolve more around Marshawn Lloyd and his ability to create extra yards in the running game. I think that at this point, after what Game Cognition has seen the last few weeks, after what Marshawn Lloyd has shown against Charlotte, South Carolina State, and now Kentucky, who again, unlike Kentucky's offensive line and quarterback, were not maybe necessarily as banged up. They did not have, I think, one of their starting linebackers in the game, admittedly, but otherwise, Kentucky was pretty healthy on that side of the ball. And Marshawn Lloyd, once again, despite... A few certain plays maybe being almost blown up right from the very get-go still found a way to rush for over 100 yards on around somewhere between 16 to 24 carries, somewhere in that range. And at this point, I think that it's pretty clear and evident that 
Marshawn Lloyd's the kind of running back, you got to get him the ball at least 20 plus times a game. I mean, he has got to have his hands on the ball in some way, shape, or form, especially when you include how Spencer Rattler's played at quarterback so far this year. And again, I won't talk about this too much more, but I mentioned it earlier in the show. Spencer Rattler has not really lived up to the expectation levels that were set on him when he transferred to South Carolina. Quite frankly, there's been times where he hasn't really helped the offense a great deal in certain situations. So, with Spencer Rattler segueing over to him, in my opinion, this offense needs to be more of a West Coast-style offense if they want to remain pro-style with this offense throughout the rest of the season. What I mean by West Coast-style is basically this. The West Coast-style is a pro-style type offense. And in the West Coast, there's a lot more short passing plays. The emphasis is basically you try to create a bunch of plays where there's only one cut or two cut routes for the majority of your receivers that are out there on the field. You get the ball out fast, you get it to them quick, and you try to let your guys on the edge make plays. Get the extra yards after the catch, whether it means that, you know, they're breaking tackles, maybe they take the right angles off of the route that they run. That is the basis of the West Coast offense. I think that Spencer Rattler is the kind of quarterback that can thrive in that type of offense. And, of course, I'm not saying that South Carolina doesn't need to try to throw the ball deep ever again throughout the rest of the season. But if you could run an offense like that, where you are killing defenses underneath, you're getting, you know, three yards here, another six yards here, maybe a screen over here gets you 12 yards. And we've seen Marcus Satterfield run a lot of screen plays in this offense so far this season. So, That's already partly what makes up a West Coast type offense. Again, get your guys the football quickly, let them be in open space, and just let them go to work. That is the basis of that. If South Carolina can do that, they can combine that with the running game that they have with Marshawn Lloyd, a running game that's really emerged the last few weeks, now that's been prioritized more, and still sprinkle in some intermediate to deep passing plays off of some drop back play action throws, then... I think South Carolina's offense could have more success. Now, does this mean that South Carolina's going to average like 35-plus points a game if they run that kind of offense? Probably not, admittedly, because this kind of offense is meant to sort of be more so of a death-by-a-thousand paper-cut sort of deal in terms of philosophy and how the pacing of the game goes. But I think that with everything Spencer Rattler has shown so far this year, I think this is the kind of offense that you've got to run. And I think this is something that even for just the next couple of games, if that's what you do, could help get his confidence back up. Because again, I think there's too many times where even if he starts to see that confidence go up again, it gets stonewalled by a bad play in the middle of a game. And obviously, I'm not saying Spencer Rattler is sort of exuding certain expressions, facial expressions or anything like that, that's showing that to the fans, but... I just think that in terms of the mistakes that he has made, what Marshawn Lloyd has shown you he can do, what Jalen Brooks and Antoine Wells have done, and that's not even counting all the other weapons that South Carolina has in the tight end group and the wide receiver room, I think that this is the kind of offense that they need to run throughout the rest of the season. If you do that, I think that could help to offset some of the problems that have been had on that side of the ball. Now, in terms of defense, I will be completely honest with all of you. I don't have a whole lot of long-term solutions that I can think of in terms of this side of the ball. I do think that there are certain issues with this defense that go to the scheme that are rooted with the way that some of these guys are coached up. I'm not going to really try to dive into it too much because it would take me too long to explain on today's show. But needless to say, there's a bunch of issues that I think are more so rooted in the coaching or maybe more so are long-term problems. There's one thing that I think that on the defensive side could be done better. In terms of trying to get to the quarterback, 
We've seen Clayton White call a ton of blitzes, as I just mentioned with the statistic earlier in the show. But the issue that I have with Clayton White's blitzing, I think that he's done a better job in terms of mixing in times where he shows basically a cover zero type blitz where he's got seven, eight guys in the box, but three or four of those guys drop back and disguising, you know, certain blitzes. And again, giving different looks essentially in order to try to confuse quarterbacks so that they can't really figure out if they're going to blitz or not. The one problem with South Carolina's blitzing patterns that I have noticed they don't do a whole lot of stunting up front. What I mean by that is, I've talked about it on this show before multiple times, having one guy basically crash into one gap and sort of another defender weave out of their gap and take over the gap that has now been vacated by the first defender. You see this a lot with defensive lines in the NFL especially because in the NFL, they don't want to have to commit a bunch of guys to pass defense over and over and over again trying to rush the quarterback. So you see stunt moves in order to try to sort of make up for that. South Carolina needs to do this more because you've got athletes on this defensive line. You've got guys in Zach Pickens and Jordan Birch who are extremely powerful and explosive. You've got a guy in Gilbert Edmond who's got solid length and speed off the edge. You've got a guy in Tonka Hemingway who is just an absolute load to stop at times. Young bucks like TJ Sanders, Nick, Nick Barrett, who can just eat up basically two gaps by himself. I mean, you've got a variety of skill sets on that defensive front. So why aren't there more stunt moves with those four guys? I think that if you did that a lot more than just having guys just basically straight up rush in the gap they're originally lined up in from the start of the play before the ball's even snapped, you would see some more success. You'll confuse offensive line units even more. You'll open up more opportunities for the defensive line to get to the quarterback. And thus, subsequently, you will probably get more sacks. You could do certain unique blitz patterns with linebackers that are in the box. Maybe you have one linebacker crash into one A-gap, the opposite A-gap, and the other guy go around to the other A-gap or B-gap. Again, I'm not going to dive too much into that. The point being... Vary up the blitz patterns and the gaps in which these guys are taking. I think you'll see more success on that side of the ball in terms of getting to the quarterback. So what are y'all's thoughts on the positives and negatives from this team so far this season that I did not mention on today's show? What are some adjustments that you think should be made on either side of the ball? I want to hear your thoughts in the comments section if you're watching today's show on YouTube. But if you're listening to today's show on an audio podcast app, you can also shoot me a message at A-Line underscore SC on Twitter, and I'll try to respond to you as quickly as I see your message. And of course, if you want to catch up on some other SEC teams in the conference, then go check out Chris Gordy over on Locked On SEC, where he covers the entire SEC conference in just 30 minutes with the help and assistance of the local team experts of Locked On who cover SEC programs. So again, make Locked On SEC your second listen after, of course, the Locked On Gamecocks podcast. But with that being said, y'all, I don't have any more for y'all on today's show. Have a great rest of your Tuesday, and I'll catch y'all on the next show of the Locked On Gamecocks podcast.